Okay, so last week we started a two-part sermon on conflict resolution. Okay, how do you resolve conflict when you get into a disagreement or if someone in the body of Christ, and we're, you know, talking about, the Bible talks about when a brother or sister offends you or sins against you, how do you handle that? What does the Bible teach us about conflict resolution? Well, in Matthew chapter 18, verse 15, it says, If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. See, what I'm trying to do is boil down the biblical, biblical conflict resolution into five principles that if you apply to your life will solve most of the conflicts that you get into. If you would apply these principles, these five principles to your life, most of the difficulties that you face in your life with other people can be resolved. Okay, so what I would really want to do as the body of Christ is, is to help all of us understand when we deal with people, and people inevitably are going to tick us off, are going to offend us, or there's going to be conflict and disagreement. How do we deal with that? Because I'm telling you, the world is not very good at it at all. You look and you read the newspaper, you watch the news, and the news is bad all the time. You know, the, I, Iran is, you know, their ships are going around and we're firing over their ships to keep them away. And the conflict is constant, not only in countries, but also at work and at school and at home and just relationships all the way around. So how do we deal with those? Well, we looked at three of them last week. The three we looked at last week were number one, consider the cause, right? We said consider the cause. And it means really looking into your own heart first. And then we said don't wait. Don't let the sun go down in your anger. So make sure you deal with it quickly. And the third one was connect face to face. And I really want to encourage you to go back and get the CD from last week, which out, out here at uh, Wise Words. Go get the CD from last week and, and listen to that or go online. You can listen to last week's sermon online because it's really important you put all five of these together. So we looked at three last week. We're going to look at numbers four and five this week. When I was growing up, I grew up in an apartment complex with my mom and it was, there was these huge apartment, apartment complexes, four of them. And there were a lot of uh, high school students there and younger kids there. And I remember when, you know, it was like probably in junior high, maybe ninth grade or so, which is, this happens a lot. Um, we would hang out together and uh, all, all during school. Then someone would come around and, and it would be time to go on vacation. Well, the people I lived with, most of them really couldn't afford to go on vacation. And the only reason we were able to go on vacation, my mom and I, was because my aunt and uncle would invite us on their vacation. They'd go to Lake George. And I really enjoyed going on vacation for that week with them. I enjoyed it, but I also dreaded it. And the reason I dreaded it was because every single time I went on vacation for that week when I got home, no one would talk to me. Everyone was angry at me because someone was upset by something I said or just created something in their minds or I did have a conflict with one individual person and they were, weren't coming and talking about it. What they did was when you were gone, they ran around and talked to everyone else in the apartments. And this is before, you know, email or, you know, all the Facebook or whatever else. It was just word of mouth and they had all summer to do it. And so for the week I was gone, they walk around and talk about he said this about you. And by the time I got home, no one wanted to be friends. It took me literally about a week to resolve all the conflicts that someone else had started because they didn't come and actually sit down and talk to me about it and resolve the conflict. We were kids anyway. They went and talked to everyone else about it. So number four is three is a crowd. Three is a crowd. Let's look at the second part of uh, Matthew eighteen fifteen. Just between the two of you. Just between the two of you. Do not include other people in your conflict. Okay. 
I'm going to tell you something. I think almost everyone that I've ever met sins in this area, including me. Okay? Every single one of us sin in this area. But Christians, I just got to, Christians do it nicer than other people. We're just nicer at it than other, because we do it in Bible studies, right? In life groups. You know, we, we kind of spiritualize it. And so we just do it nicer than other people when we spiritualize it. Not at all. Okay, it's just another way of getting around it, if you will. And if we're really if we really want to spiritualize it, we turn it into a prayer request. Right. Can you pray about my relationship with Ken? He's just the biggest loser and uh, he's got so many problems. And and if we could just go before Jesus and and ask God to change his nasty, evil Deceitful heart, you know what I mean? We could, we could just talk, you know, we could just pray to Jesus that he would change Ken. Um, I'll tell you what, I'll open, you close, and we'll all popcorn pray around about Ken. You know what I mean? And we, tell, we talk about Ken, and, and we try to spiritualize it, right? I want a show of hands, show of hands. How many people here have ever talked to other people about someone without talking to that person first? Show of hands, raise your hand. Put your hand up. <laughs> Some people are not me. In your whole life. You see, the reality is 90% of the people do it and 10% of the people lie about it. So every single person, <laughs> every single person in the room does that. We all do it. We, you know, we catch ourselves sometimes. We, you know, we say, well, I'm going to get some advice. Or, and that's okay in some circumstances. I don't want to get over, you know, overdo it here. But the Bible is really clear that when you have a problem with someone, you go and you talk to them. You talk to them. No, see, because here's the thing, no matter how much we dress it up and over-spiritualize it, we need to make sure that we are realizing that when, when we talk about someone else to another person before we talk to that person, we are sinning. We really are. It's a sin. So let's not over-spiritualize it as we do sometimes. Let's just, you know, deal with the Word of God as it is and apply it to our lives. So if we're not supposed to talk to other people, so now you're in a conflict with someone and you're saying, well, I need, it. I need advice. I, what are my first steps here? Well, number one, okay, you go to the Word of God. You let the Word of God guide you, right? 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17 says, All Scripture is God-breathed and useful for correct... Uh, Training, correcting in righteousness that the man or woman of God or a servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So we are thoroughly equipped for every good work. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness. What that means is that you and I have all that we need to resolve the problems that we have in our lives. The Bible gives us everything that we need to resolve those problems and those conflicts. So we need to go to the word of God. So before you go and talk to that person, seek the word of God. Read the word of God. Try to apply the word of God to your life. Don't go to the, don't go and get someone else involved, okay, unless you've already gone to that person, and once you've gone to them, you come away with no resolution. You believe this is what the Word of God says. You go to that person, they, they, they refuse to reconcile, they refuse to go along, then you get someone else involved, but that's number five, and we'll get to that in a moment, all right? So you go to the Word of God. The second thing you need to do is you need to go and spend time in prayer. 
You need to spend time in prayer. You don't want to skip this at all. This, is, this step is so important. You pray about the conflict that you're having with the other person. You pray about it, okay? And what you really want to do is go into prayer with humility. You want to have a humble heart. So when you go before God, and we talked about this last week as well, you know, what is the cause of our conflict? Many times what we need to do first is we need to look into our own hearts, And so what you want to do is you want to go into prayer with humility and ask God, show me, Lord, where I'm wrong first. That's what you ask God. Show me where I'm wrong. And if you ask the question, he's going to answer the question. And when he does answer the question and shows you where you're wrong first, what you want to do is you want to deal with your own attitude and your own heart before you go and deal with the issue with this other person. So you read the word of God, you pray about it. What you're doing, you're seeking God's advice. And then God says, okay, here are some areas you need to work on. You then work on those areas. And after you're finished, work on your own attitude and your own heart. Then you can go and you can talk to that other person. That's extremely, extremely important. You know, um, it sets a Christian-like or a Christ-like tone if you handle it that way. When you, when you sit down with someone... And you come at it from a perspective of, Lord, first you ask, where am I wrong? And if you walk into that argument or that disagreement, you say, you know, I I just want to first apologize for, you know, my part in this. And even if you even if you only you think you're 10 percent wrong, if you apologize for your part first, you set a Christ like tone in that conflict. The other thing you want to do when you're sitting down with that person is let that person know what you're trying to accomplish in the conversation. You say to the person, you know, I want to talk to you because I want to, I want to resolve our differences. Your, your relationship is extremely important to me and I want to let you know that I want our relationship to be stronger when we're finished with this conversation than it was ever, than when we started or ever. I want a stronger relationship with you when this is all resolved. I know we're going to be able to resolve it. When you talk that way, you know, people, their walls start to come down because you've already admitted some of the areas where you think you were wrong and you're saying to the person, your relationship is valuable to me and I want to make sure that at the end of this conversation, you and I are in a stronger relationship than when we started. So in a nutshell, what you want to do is you want to go to God first before you go to that person, right? And number two, you don't want to go to other people and talk to other people about the situation until you've gone and talked to that person. That makes sense, right? Not rocket science. You've got to follow these principles because Satan will, what he'll do is he'll come along and he'll get your emotions involved first, right? And the pride will swell up and you're not this person. You know, why should you think about this? Why should you admit you're 10% when you know they're 90% wrong? Why should you do that? That's crazy. They were wrong. They hurt your feelings more. So therefore, hold your ground. Let them know where they're wrong. Keep on fighting. See, when we follow the word of God, we resolve conflict because God is an expert at conflict resolution. God is an expert at restoring relationship. God is an expert at redeeming brokenness. Okay? He's the expert. We need to follow the word of God and God's advice. Now, remember last week when we were talking about number two, and it's, number two was don't wait. And the reason I want to bring this up and kind of do a little side note here is because after last week, a lot of people were interacting. We were talking a lot of tears, a lot of it was great, great conversation, great emails and and interacting in that way. But some people were saying, "Okay, you said don't 
You said, don't wait, but I waited way too long. And now the person, I'll just lay this out and say, now the person who you've had conflict with is either no longer in your life. Okay, so you can't you can't interact with them. They're no longer in your life. You don't know where they are or they're dead. They're gone. So now you've waited and the person is no longer in your life. The person is dead. So how do you deal with that? See, it may not be possible. Number three to go face to face with the person. So so you're asking, Lord, how do we how do I deal with a person who has harmed me? It, I feel it. I wake up thinking about it. It, it is really gripping my life because it, maybe it happened 20 years ago, but you still own it. It's still that person's never apologized. And now they can't because you can't find them or they're gone. So what do you do? If that's the case, what you need, what you need to do is forgive the debt that person owes you. Hear me out now. This is important. You need to forgive the debt that that person owes you. See, they owe you an apology. There's no question about it. You were harmed by them physically, emotionally, spiritually, whatever the case may be. You are harmed by them. So they owe you an apology. But here's the thing. The apology is not coming. It's not going to come. What you need to do, what we need to do is we need to let go of the anger and set ourselves free by setting their debt free. They owe us. There's a debt that needs to be paid. So we have we have one of two options. We hold on to the debt, okay, which grips us, or we set them free of the debt. Now, it's not saying that what that person did to you was okay. It was not okay. But you're choosing to let that person go free so they no longer control your life. Because right now what they did to you, and now they're gone. But what they did to you controls your life. It controls your emotions. When you think about it, it sets you back. It creates intense frustration. It's like, you know, Pavlov's dogs. When you hear the person's name, you see the person's picture. If someone brings them up, whatever, it just brings it all back because it's still stirred up inside you. And what you need to do is set yourself free by forgiving their debt. Remember we talked about last week that you have either people or events in your life and they become your son, S-U-N. And your life revolves around that son, that event, that person. It like pulls you in and you can't break free from the grip of the atmosphere. It's pulling you in and you revolve your whole life around that event. And God says that is not acceptable for followers of Jesus Christ. The only son that we should be revolving around is the S-O-N, Jesus Christ. Our lives revolve around that son, not the event or the person. So this is extremely important. What you're, what you're really saying, if you do this, is that they owe me, they owe me. They, they are in debt. They owe me an apology, but I'm choosing to forgive their debt. So no one's denying that you were harmed. What you're saying is they owe me an apology. I'm choosing to forgive their debt. I'm no longer going to let my life revolve around the sun of their apology because you've made their apology the sun in which your life revolves around. You're saying I am no longer going to allow the, the sun of their debt to become the thing that controls my life. So let it go. Free their debt, because what you're doing is you're freeing yourself. 
That's so important. If you cannot go face to face, that's what you need to do. That's what the word of God calls us to do. It is not God will be the judge of all things. No one gets away with, if you will, any of these things. But God will deal with that. Relieve the debt. Set yourself free by setting their debt free. Number five, ask for help. Matthew chapter 18, verses 16 and 17 says this, But if they will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. If you go to that person and you walk away without resolution then what you need to do is you need to find spiritually mature people within the church who will help you mediate that situation. Spiritually mature people. Not just, listen, please, not just anyone, not your buddy. Hey, buddy, can you come with me? No, you've got to pick people within the church. People, you've got to find out who are the most spiritually mature people that you know. Okay, within the church or outside the church, but you need to find spiritually mature people. If you don't follow this particular rule when it comes to getting the right spiritually mature people, they can make the situation worse than it was before you started. Let me give you an example of the kind of person you don't want to invite as a mediator in your situation. A mediator's tool chest. (laughs) Okay. Well, before we get started, you should know that there are five different styles of conflict. My Shaolin Temple style defeats your monkey style. Can we go? I have a lot of work to do. Nope, this is important. Okay, the first style is lose-lose. What's the next one? Just hold... On, please. Okay. If we do lose-lose, neither of you gets what you want. Do you understand? You, you would both lose. Now, I need to ask you, do you want to pursue a lose-lose negotiation? Can we just skip to whatever number five is, win-win or whatever? Win-win is number four. And number five is win-win-win. The important difference here is... With win-win-win, we all win. Me too. I win for having successfully mediated a conflict at work. A medi- <laughs> Okay, so you do not want to take the wrong person with you because they could cause more damage than good. So you have to find spiritually mature people that will help you resolve this conflict. So what you want to do is take one or two trusted friends, someone that, or even if you don't know them very well, but you know their reputation, you know they're wise, you know they're spiritually mature, you take that person with you and you sit down and you try to resolve this conflict. If you can find someone who's trusted by both people, there is a real win-win, okay? You find someone who, who, who both parties trust, get that person or a couple people to sit down with you and walk that through. Now, if there's still no resolution, then you take the next step the Bible talks about. And the next step first, this assumes that one person is actually sinned against another. There's absolute sin involved in this. So there's one person who sinned against another. The Bible is clear about how to deal with it. And the, and the other party refuses, still refuses to resolve the conflict. They refuse to change. Even though the Bible clearly lays out what should happen. 
Okay, you've brought these people, you've sat down, you try to mediate it, you've done everything you possibly can. If the person still refuses to listen, then you take it to the church. And in our situation, the elders or the pastor, the pastoral leadership. So you want to bring it to the leaders of the church. If the person refuses to listen even to the leadership of the church, then they may be asked to leave the church. Now, some people you say that and automatically your back goes up and you're like, wait a second, that's not nice. You, that, that's, not, that, that's mean and unkind. Well, let me be honest with you, okay? Churches are falling apart because of that kind of attitude. It is, it is the opposite of mean and unkind. It's mean and unkind not to deal with it when things are happening within the body of Christ. That's mean. That's not. That's, it's, it's unkind because you're allowing people to harm other people. The Bible, the Bible says that you should ask people to leave sometimes is a threefold reason why it does that. Number one, what, what the Bible is trying to do is bring people to their spiritual senses, if you will. Okay? The goal, when you ask someone to step out of fellowship for a period of time, what you're saying is that you want to try to restore that person into a relationship with Christ and into a relationship of fellowship with other people. That's the goal. That's why the Bible says, ask this person to step out. Because it's like the prodigal son. The prodigal son says, hey, dad, give me the money. He goes off, and it's not until he's sleeping with the pigs that he realizes, wow, I need to go back and reconcile with my father. This, this, my life is not turning out the way it should turn out. So if a person's defying God's word, okay, it is a healthy thing to do to then say, you know what, you need to go spend some time with the Lord and let the Lord deal with you. Because the reality is, if they're refusing to, to listen to that person and to a group of people that they know and to the leadership of the church, they're really their hearts are hardened and what you need to do is allow the Holy Spirit to soften their hearts. And sometimes it's only the Spirit of God that can do that. That's number one. The second reason is that you want to protect the innocent. You want to try to protect the innocent. My job as the pastor of Grace Chapel, my number one job is to, is to feed you spiritual food, to teach you the things that we're teaching you here, and to protect you from spiritual harm. So I want to feed you the truth of God's word, and I want to protect you from spiritual harm. If someone poses a physical or spiritual or emotional threat to others in the church, then the church sometimes has to intervene to protect those who might become victims of that person's behavior. That's just the reality of life. It may be a predatory person. It may be someone who's physically or emotionally or spiritually or verbally, in a sense, abusing other people. And when that's happening, if someone is a gossip and running around talking about another family and tearing that family apart, it is inappropriate for the leadership of the church not to sit down in love with that other person or people and say, listen, that's not how we handle it here at Grace Chapel. Here's how we'd like to handle it. We'll get both of you together. We'll sit down with you. We'll resolve the conflict. That's the way it should be done. You don't say, oh, well, that would be to sit down with those other people who are tearing those other people apart would be mean or unkind. No, it's unkind to the people who are doing it because they need to grow spiritually. And it's unkind to the people who, who feel victimized when no one's helping them. And what happens? The people who are victimized leave the church because they don't want to deal with them. The people who do it end up leaving the church, too, over a period of time. No one grows. Nothing's resolved. That's number two. Number three, it protects the integrity of the church. The Bible calls members of the church, followers of Jesus Christ, to follow the example of Jesus Christ. We are to live our lives. We are to lead morally and faith-filled lives. That's what the Bible calls us to do. Every single one of us who, who claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ 
We are to live moral, Christ-centered, faith-filled lives. When we don't do that, okay, the name of Jesus Christ is dragged through the mud, not only in the church, but in many cases, and you know this to be true, if you're an older Christian, but also outside of the church, as people hear about what's going on within the church. The church, need, the church health is vitally important. It's, you know, people talk all the time in, in our culture about church growth, church growth magazines, church growth articles, church growth, church growth, growth. We, yeah, sure you want to grow, but I'm going to tell you what's more important than church growth, church health, being a healthy church. I care more about being a healthy church than I do about being a mega church or a large church, or whatever kind of word you want to use. We need to build a healthy church. That's one of the main reasons I want to talk about this with you this morning. Because if all of us understand conflict resolution, how we're supposed to deal with each other, especially first within the church, how we're expected to deal with each other when it comes to conflict, then we're going to be a healthier body. We're going to be a healthier church. We're going to build deeper, more meaningful relationships. We're not going to spend all of our time arguing and fighting over here when we should be leading people to the Lord and taking care of orphan widows over here. This is the important thing. So we need to stay healthy so we can focus on what God calls us to do and what's most important. So many of you have come from unhealthy church situations where there's been politics and there's been uh, uh, like... uh, uh, battles of like, you know, leadership battles and control power and control battles and gossip is going on. Things in the church where the leadership is sinning and no one's addressing it and people in the church are sinning and no one's addressing that. And it's part of the reason that so many people come to other churches and maybe you come into Grace Chapel and you don't want to serve. You're not a bad, it's not you're a bad person. It's not that you don't care about the Lord. As a matter of fact, you love the Lord with all your heart and that's why you want to be in church. But you just don't want to get involved anymore because when you get involved, you've done this twice, you kind of pull back the veil and you see what's behind the veil in church sometimes and it's like discouraging. I want to encourage you. We are not perfect, but politics, we don't play politics at Grace Chapel. We try to be authentic. When something happens, we try to be honest about it. If I'm sinning or someone else is sinning, you see something that's done or if something's offensive or something needs to be resolved in the church, you come to me, you come to the elders, you come to the other staff people, you sit down and say, here's some things that I'm seeing that might be a little hurtful or somebody hurt me, and we talk about it. We talk about it. That's, that's the way we handle things here at Grace Chapel. We're not perfect, but we try our best. So I want to encourage you. I, I, want, I want you to hear my heart. We work really hard to keep our church healthy. We try really hard to make this a safe place for you to come and serve. I promise you it's not going to be perfect. I promise you. You may get hurt here and there, but we will handle in a way that is appropriate and Christ-centered and Christ-honoring. That I can promise you as long as I'm breathing and I'm standing up here as your senior pastor. See, protecting the church, protecting the church is, is often, and I want to encourage you with this, but I know it's hard, is often painful, Okay. You show me a mature Christian, and I'll show you a Christian with scars. That's all there is to it. And I'd love to say different, but it's just not true. I, I remember talking to a pastor from Nigeria, and he said to me one time, he said, if a pastor's scars were on the outside, he'd be hideous to look at. And he's right. It's true. It's true. But you know what? We all love Jesus Christ with our heart, soul, and mind. And we, we need to recognize that we are all sinners saved by grace. And we're going to have conflict sometimes. But if you're at least in a place where they're going to handle it appropriately, then you can at least take the chance to step out and serve again. So I just want to, I want to encourage you instead of having that robbed from your life. 
Another thing someone else told me I think is so true. Um, they said, I don't trust a Christian who doesn't walk with a limp. And I agree with that. So some of you are limping. Some of you kind of like you lost limbs. We still need you. Okay, bring it. Just limp, limp in. Let's all limp together. Um, but we need you as much as you've gone through. And here's the thing. Some of you have gone through some difficult circumstances in your church background. Wouldn't it be great that you bring that to bear and, and use that wisdom to protect this church instead of just kind of staying in the background completely for the rest of your life? And I don't, this is not, a, this is not a, a, a guilt thing. It really isn't. It's a loving, I love you. I don't want you to be robbed of what God has for you because of what others have done to you in the past. So just, just pray about that. You know, I, I spend, like I said, a lot of time trying to keep this church healthy. And it's one of the reasons I wanted to preach these two sermons. Because I want to make sure that this church knows how to resolve conflict in a spiritually mature way. In Ephesians chapter 4, in verse 15, it says, Instead, listen, speaking the truth in love, that's how we should handle each other, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. This world is filled with broken relationships. This, this, this world is absolutely filled with hurting people who do not understand how to resolve conflict. They don't know how to do it. We need to make sure we're not amongst those people. We need to make sure that we're learning how to forgive and how to resolve as the body of Christ, all of us. Sometimes laying our emotions aside, letting our, laying our pride aside, and we need to learn the biblical way to resolve conflict and to forgive other people because this world is hurting and they don't know how to resolve conflict. There are people all around you, not only in the church, but outside the church who are broken because of relationships that have never been restored. We need to teach people how to do that. I want to close with this story. In Spain, there was a father and a son who got into a lot of conflict. As the, as the son grew, you know, they would be butting heads all the time. And so at a certain point, the conflict got so great, the son said, I'm sick and tired of this, <clears throat> broken, I'm leaving. And the son leaves. The father at first is like, eh, who cares? <clears throat> as time goes on, a short time, the father realizes he wants to restore his relationship with his son. So he goes searching for his son. He searches for months and months and he can't find his son anywhere. So in desperation, a last-ditch effort, he goes to the Madrid newspaper and he puts an ad in the newspaper trying to find his son. And the ad basically says this, Dear Paco, meet me at the office of this newspaper at 12 o'clock, outside the office of this newspaper at 12 o'clock on Saturday. All is forgiven. I love you, your father. And he put that ad in the paper. That Saturday, 800 men named Paco showed up outside of that newspaper seeking forgiveness and reconciliation with their fathers. 800. People are hurting. We have broken relationships. We as the body of Christ need to put our emotions and our feelings and all our ideas and our perspectives aside and follow the biblical principles that are laid out in Scripture for us to resolve conflict. And then we need to teach that to others. And the best way to teach it is by example. We live in a hurting world, but we can resolve so much of those hurts 
And we can make such a difference in the lives of the people in our own church and in our community and around the world if we live out what Jesus Christ calls us to do. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that we can spend together. And God, we thank you for the opportunity to come here this morning and to, and to just deal with some of these tougher issues. We all face conflict. But God, we pray with all of our hearts that we would be the example, that we would lay aside our pride, that we would first, Lord God, hold the olive branch out to another person. That we would do what you call us to do and be the people you call us to be in this area of our lives. What dramatic results we could see within the body of Christ and within this world in our community, Lord God, if we would all live this out. What a testimony, the power of your son, Jesus Christ, it would be. Father, we pray that as we deal with conflict and we deal with forgiveness, that you would help us, Lord, also, as we're going to talk about next week, prepare our hearts, that you would help us even to forgive ourselves for the things that we've been struggling with in the past, Lord God. We need sometimes to be freed from the guilt and the things that are dealing, that are going on in our own hearts. And I pray, dear God, that you would help us to start to begin that process even this week. So when we come next week, we're prepared, Lord God, to be set free from the past. We love you, we praise you, and we give you this day. Pray that you would give us a great time of fellowship now as we go to Pine Hill Park. I pray that we would build meaningful and deep relationships with each other as we fellowship. In Jesus' precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Have a great week.